everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Thurston County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team over at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out on the web at altitude-re.com slash hb. Again, altitude-re.com slash hb. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Everybody, it's Brian M. Hauser, uh, and we've got the Hawk Plogger, Hawk Plogger, the Hawk Blogger crew. It's been so long, I forgot our name uh, even. So uh, it's been a long off season. It's been a little bit quiet in some, uh, some regards uh, and really noisy in others. And uh, as always, we bring back the uh, quartet that is made up of uh, Evan, uh, Evan Hill, Evan, at ha- Evan on HB uh, on Twitter. Welcome, Evan. Thank you. It's good to be back. It's, uh, it's, uh, I'm so excited football is here. I, I can't even, I, I'll leave it for later. I've got so many thoughts. I'm so excited. I know we get, we get to add football to baseball for once instead of just a straight replace. Uh, thanks to the Mariners actually being relevant this year. Uh, Jeff Simmons, welcome back. How are things going in Toronto, dude? It's good, man. We just got a uh, Kawhi Leonard. So our NBA team matters for once in a while. Uh, We've taken on the Mariners' identity, have become uh, absolutely irrelevant in baseball. So I'm dying for some football, man. Um, yeah, quite burning question before we pass it over to Nathan is: uh, Was it a bigger move for Toronto to get Kawhi Leonard or for LeBron James to leave the Eastern Conference? LeBron leaving. LeBron <laughs> has absolutely owned us for years. I'm almost more of a LeBron fan than a Raptor fan, if I had to be fully honest. But yeah, man. I Kawhi's only here for one year. He's going he's going to California. So way bigger LeBron leaving. Yeah, it's gonna be an interesting NBA season as as it has been for a while. And then uh Nathan Ernst, uh at Nathan E eleven, uh a lifelong Laker fan from what we're being told now on Twitter. Welcome back, dude. Thanks. Happy to be here. Fun to get the gang back together. Yeah, yeah. Is it is it going to be hard for you to think Seahawks and not Lakers? Because I know that's always what's been on your mind. It's true, uh, but I'm going to make sure I carve out some time for the Seahawks, my secondary hobby this this season. So <laughs> good. Well, um, you know, I can't honestly remember the last time when when we got together if we covered it, but I do like to just uh, thank everybody who's tuned in and everybody who's been a a patron up until now um, on Patreon.com. Uh, we raised over $30,000 that we contributed to uh, Ben's fund in this last season, which was a record for the site. Um, we had great sponsors like Pagliacci and a um, uh, number of other patrons who stepped up um, and uh, who sponsored the podcast and, and all that kind of stuff. So great year. Uh, and now all time, we've contributed over 100000 bucks to Ben's fund. So it's really cool and uh, just a great way to kind of have fun talking about the Seahawks and also give back. So uh, thanks everybody who's uh, who's been contributing and tuning in. Um, 
And with that, uh, Jeff, we're heading into training camp starting on Thursday. Um, uh, what's on your mind? What, what should we be? What should we? Uh, what should we talk about here? It's it's such a strange year because Seahawks fans, I'm sure all of us, have just used to them being championship contenders. Every year they've gone in, probably since 2013, that year, going into that year, we've thought, or at least I've thought, that this team should win the Super Bowl or at least be in contention for the Super Bowl, despite some flaws, despite some offensive line issues. And this is probably the first year, probably since the lockout, where you really don't know. The range of outcomes of this team is crazy. They've gotten rid of – they've had an unprecedented turnover in terms of players, maybe since the one year where Jim Harbaugh left and all those Niners retired with Justin Smith and – Patrick Willis and there's an offensive line, Anthony Davis. It's the only really example I can think of. And really now Pete Carroll's kind of being put on the, the hot seat and it's hard to imagine. It's just the range of outcomes of the team is crazy right now. And there's so much to look forward to. It's kind of weird going into the year with almost no expectations. And that's kind of my thinking of it. And I don't, I know Evan's going to think differently and Nathan will definitely think differently, but right now I'm kind of excited to just see what happens. When you say no expectations, are you talking about that you are expecting a really bad season or you don't know what to expect? I have no idea what to expect. But when I mean no expectations, I mean no championship expectations. Yeah. So I don't mean that I think they're going to fail or that they, they, I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I just mean I'm going to the senior kind of – I'm not going to be living – I'm not going to be sweating for every single game like maybe I have in the past. And I'm not going to be thinking every game is a must win or the season's wasted. I kind of just want to watch and see what happens. And it seems like that's the way they've set up this program right now. It's kind of a transition year. It's kind of a turnover year. So in that regard, it's kind of fun where I'm not sweating out every move they make. I'm not dying in the first quarter of every game if they start slow. I'm more trying to see if they're on the right track setting up for the future. And to me, that's kind of exciting. Well, I'd actually love to go round table here and get a range. Like we saw uh, Nate... Who was it? Um, Davis. Nate Davis. Is that the 538 guy? Yeah. Uh, Nate Silver. Predict four wins, four and 12 season for the Seahawks. That got a little bit of a pub. What's your range? So so let's start with uh, the Nathan. Um, and, you know, what's your what's the low range of your expectations and, and what's the high? Um, and, and why is that the range for you? I've been kind of in a seven to nine, nine to seven type range. Uh, the more I think about it, the more I think that they might have a bit of a lower end to them, um, where maybe I'm not going to be shocked if, uh, it's a six and 10 year, but I mean, I think most, uh, you know, odds makers have them like at a, as an eight win team. And I think that's probably about right. Um, for me, it's just about, um, health and, and how they, you know, kind of fall on that range somewhere between six or seven and nine wins. Evan, how about you? Yeah, I think I think low end is probably seven and nine. Um, I think high end is probably thirteen and three. I, I seriously think that team um, it, it could end up being that way. I uh, I think uh, just looking back over the past couple of years, some of the things you mentioned, Jeff, really uh, rung a bell in my head. You know, over the past two to three years with the Legion of Boom like aging, one thing that's always kind of been in the back of my mind was, oh, you know, Richard Sherman's getting older. Cam Chancellor's getting older. 
you know, Bobby Wagner's getting older. Bobby Wagner's still young, but like the Legion of Boom in general was getting older. And there was almost this like psychological pressure for me as a fan being like, oh, they have to win a Super Bowl before the Legion of Boom retires. Like they've got only a year or two left. It felt like really high expectations. And we did have high expectations. Um, but going into this year, there's just so much uncertainty. And I'm so excited about that. It's for the first time in a long time, we can confidently say the Seahawks are underdogs. They're being, you know, being treated as maybe you can say disrespectfully around the league, um, depending on your view of them. But there's a lot of uncertainty um, with this team. And I'm really excited that there are certain critical positions that are that are up for grabs. I'm excited to see some competition, some fresh faces, both on the coaching side and on the player side. So uh, to answer your question, long, long, long-winded, between seven and nine and thirteen and three. Uh, but if I had to guess, I think it's more of like in the 10, 10 and six season, or maybe eleven and five. What what gives you um, the thirteen? Like what 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 does the team look like if they if they have thirteen wins, which you know is the most the teams ever won in franchise history? What what is that? Yeah, I I, I think if for them to reach thirteen wins, that means a a crazy amount of young players must have stepped up. And not only that, so young players must have stepped up in part two of this is pass protection is ranked top 15 or better. We've seen what Russell Wilson can do with an even adequate offensive line. Uh, if Solari can give that to him, if these players can give that to him, watch out NFL. You know, we, we, we might see that second half of 2015 Russell Wilson, um, but there are obviously some really young names that could end up being strong contributors to this team. Um, names like what one name that has, I think kind of got lost in the midst is, uh, is Naz Jones. I know he got, um, injured last year, but before he, before he got injured, he was, he was balling out and we were really excited about him. So I think, I think there's some really young names that have potential to be really strong contributors this year. And that's exciting to me. Jeff, where, where are you? You say you have no expectations. Give us a range, though. So when I saw the four-win thing, I scoffed. I even wrote Nate a tweet. I don't see four wins. There's too much talent there. I think that's way too low, even though the schedule is really hard. I kind of look back, and I, I'm i looking at teams with a, a franchise quarterback. Yeah, this is assuming there's no quarterback injury because that's where you can have three, four wins. I couldn't find really an example in recent history of where someone's less than seven. And Drew Brees was the best thing I was looking at. Drew Brees was 7-9 with a lot of bad Saints rosters. Those teams were in salary cap hell. I know Evan studies the salary cap really hard. Those teams were really screwed up by a, a number of bad decisions, far worse than anything Seattle's done. And they were never worse than 7-9. and nine. And I know the NFC's loaded, and I know Seattle's got its flaws, but I think 7-9 and nine is probably the word I'm going to say is the lowest point here. And I'd say probably 10 is the highest I can see right now. I'm probably somewhere in eight wins, if I'm being realistic. Unless what Evan said, they they do kind of have what the Saints had last year where all those young rookies emerged and the offensive line kind of came together. That's how you get over 10. But I'm probably thinking more of an 8 to 9, maybe, probably more like 8. That's where I would go. Yeah, it's it's, it's so interesting because I, I, I echo what you were saying, Jeff, about having, I wouldn't say no expectations, but this is a really hard team to prognosticate this year. There's so many unknowns coming into it. And it's not just, usually that's player turnover, right? Like you got new players, you need to see them on the field before you get there. You got a new offensive coordinator, you got a new offensive line coach, you got a new defensive coordinator. Like 
everything's different other than you could say that Pete Carroll as the architect of the defense is going to stay consistent. So there should be some consistency of approach on defense. Um, but beyond that, like a lot of things feel a little bit up in the air and, you know, uh, I, I can't quite get to Evan's optimism as a, as a 13 being a top end. Uh, few people can uh, achieve the, the level of uh, atmosphere that, that Evan um, floats at. But, um, you know, this feels like if things go right, this is a 10 and 6, 11 and 5 team. Like, I think that if things go right, that's what it looks like. Um, if things go wrong, I mean, since Evan talked about some of the things going right, let's talk about one of the, some of the things that could go wrong. Like, the offensive line is as bad as it was last year. Um, and they really don't have any run game to speak of, and they're doubling down on the run. You know, they've seen that all offseason. They're going to run. They're going to run. And if it's still not working, and they're still doing that, um, if Russell Wilson gets injured, like, there is no other side of this team to lean on right now um, where you could say, hey, you know, if Russ goes down, the defense can hold him in games for a while. I don't think you can count on that with this this team. So Russell Wilson's health is is paramount to anything meaningful happening this season. Um, and I think on the defensive side, you know, the secondary is as much of a question as anything. You've got secondary questions and you've got pass rush questions. That's a really challenging combination in today's NFL. So, you know, to go in there with very likely two new safeties, neither of which are likely to be as good as the starting safeties you've had for the past few years. I don't think Bradley McDougald or Delano Hill or Maurice Alexander. Delano Hill has some upside. He, he could be great. You know, we'll, we'll find out, but likely not. And then Shaquille Griffin, like, love the guy. I don't think he's proven yet that he's a Pro Bowl level corner. I think he's a strong corner, but... You know, can he make plays on the ball? Can he actually create turnovers? Um, he didn't do that at all last year. Um, and you've got a question mark up opposite him. So, you know, I, I will, in a little while, so I don't dominate the whole conversation, like I will go through some of the things I see on the positive, but just to paint some of that picture, there's some real, there is some real downside potential, as Nathan was talking about, where it wouldn't shock me if they ended up with five wins or something like that, if, if, you know, especially if something like Russell Wilson got hurt. I mean, if Wilson gets hurt, it's on the table. But, like, the thing with this team is injuries are bad no matter who you are. But this team can't afford to to get injured at a lot of different spots. I mean, there are some nice players on the team. Um, you still have guys like Bobby and Earl. And, of course, they're, you know, super important to the team. But, you know, what happens if there's a Frank Clark injury? And you have to go four games without Frank Clark. What happens if there's, you know, uh, an injury on the offensive line, or what? You know, if Shaquille goes down, right? I mean, now you're starting to like start Nico Thorpe, or even if it's just Maxi. You don't think that Maxwell may be that big of a deal, but when you start to look at what they got behind some of these starters, it gets really rough really fast. They're like a lot of these Mariners teams that um, got rolled out for there for a few years. Where at the start of the year, you could like, oh yeah, if you know if this guy breaks out, and then these guys play to their you know, their, their career averages, you know, this team can be okay. Right. And then you have, you know, one injury in your rotation and you're bringing up like double a guys. Um, this team is in kind of the same position. And so there's the upside. I don't really see it. I mean, they have to make up 20 touchdowns from last year 
losing Graham Richardson and, you know, Wilson, which Luke Wilson's backup tight end, four touchdowns, whatever. But like, that's, that's a lot of touchdowns. And it's easy to say they're going to get that from the running game, but 20 touchdowns, they're not getting 20 touchdowns from the rushing game. Like that's 2005 rushing levels, right? They're not going to get that all back there. And they're, I don't know well, where they're going to get the rest. So I'm curious. Like, so I'd agree they're not going to get that from necessarily rushing touchdowns. But do you think that, um, I mean, they've got some really strong receiving backs in that group. You know, do we think that the running back core as a group could could account for ten touchdowns? Um, I, th- I think that's a realistic. Uh, like a lot. I, I don't know what is normal there, but like that would be a, a huge year out of the running backs. Well, you, th- you figure like Marshawn Lynch in his peak years individually was getting, you know, 12 to 14 touchdowns, right? Um, maybe even more than that, but I think it was around total between rushing and, and receiving. receiving. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. But yeah, um, I mean, now you're talking about needing like a Marshawn level performance. Like, well, uh, from the combined group, <laughs> not, <laughs> I'm not anointing anyone as the next Marshawn, but, you know, if you got Chris Carson and Penny and, um, well, and CJ Procise is going to be healthy the whole year. You know sure, that. So sure. He, mark him down for at least six touchdowns. Uh, I think you mean JD McKissick, but yeah, sure. Between the <laughs> two of them. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, but yeah, I mean, there's ways that it can come, right? But like, um, you know, Russell led the league in touchdowns last year. Um, if you start to want to say that you're going to make up some of it more in the passing game, uh, you know, I don't know. It's It's a lot to expect. So there's a lot of, I don't know. I think there's a lot of downtime, a lot of downside and a lot of risk with this team. Yeah. So, so I'm curious for you other guys, uh, Nathan brings up a good point about the the loss of some of the scoring on offense. Um, you know, some of the running backs could be part of making that up. Who else do you think could be part of, of uh, closing the gap and replacing some of that scoring? I think Tyler Lockett. Uh, Tyler Lockett was basically playing on one leg last year. I think he said he was 75 or 80 percent. And if you think about Paul Richardson, I don't think coming into last year, he had been mostly outside of that playoff run a couple of years back. He has been mostly an injury prone disappointment. And now one one great contract year, he's an eight million dollar player. Lockett has his issues. He's not the best catcher with his hands. He's not going to be a great red zone guy, but I think he's a guy who can help you. The big wild card here, and I don't even know if he makes the team, is Brandon Marshall. And if you've been following Brandon Marshall on Instagram or anything like that, he seems really excited to be on the Seahawks, which is kind of a difference from everything you've heard from kind of the veterans around the team, kind of from Sherman. We'll get into that later. If there's one guy who can help in the red zone, because Jimmy Graham is a huge loss. Ed Dixon does not come near that guy. He's more of a inline blocker and a decent outrunner. But I think the X factor in terms of red zone has to be Brandon Marshall. because, And the scary thing is he might not even make the team. That's how, that's how much uncertainty there is around these guys right now. I think my greatest fear is that nobody out of that group really steps up. You know, we have, I think there's potential with the group, but it's also the biggest liability potentially from a position perspective. I, I mean, speaking on Lockett, Jeff, that's assuming Lockett is even like returning back to full health. Like I, I, I don't even, I'm not even sure that's a given and I'm, I'm, and I'm a huge Tyler Lockett fan, but um, who else do you hope steps up in that group? Amara Darbo, DJ Moore, Tanner like, McAvoy. Wish we had DJ Moore. McAvoy time. Shut down the podcast. Shut down the podcast. He's not making the roster, and if he does, 
I'll eat my freaking Rashad Penny jersey on the pod. I'll right. eat it. First of all, where is this very dangerous. Where is this fabled Rashad Penny jersey? You talked so much snack about it on Twitter, and suddenly you actually got a Rashad Penny jersey. Oh, yeah. give me a second. Continue the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Go, go, I can't go, believe go. that I had to prompt you to remember to go get it in the first he, place. He was actually said he was wearing it and said it was too hot in his apartment. Uh, so I, I'm curious how he's going to do in Arizona. Although, we'll see if we can make him sweat on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Tyler Lockett had uh, six touchdowns um, his rookie year and then was, you know, I think one, la- you know, his second year when he got injured and then two last year. So, his upside so far has been six. Um, you know, you figure if he has a his best year, he could have seven or eight. Um, would be his best year. But uh, I do think Tyler Lockett. Oh, look at look at what do you got there, Evan? It is, that is Jeremy Lane jersey. It is the 2018 League MVPs jersey, Rashad Penny. <laughs> okay, turn around. We got to see the 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 name because otherwise it looks like a Jeremy Lane jersey. Yeah, that does look weird. That is hard to get used to. I know. I said Mo Morris. He's run on the field and be like, ah, crap. You know, that's a bad number. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Has there been any good number 20 running backs ever for any team or for this team? (laughs) I'm trying to think of it. Well, Barry Sanders. Um, Yeah. I guess one. (laughs) That's one. None None of the modern era. But no, so like you want to joke about like, you know, scoff at Amara Darbo. You want to scoff at uh, McAvoy. Like, who are the dudes that are beating these guys out? You've got. Brandon Marshall, okay, maybe. Jerome Brown, all right. He was a fourth wide receiver with Arizona last year. Marcus Johnson, David Moore, DeMaurier Stringfellow. I mean, maybe Stringfellow's got the best chance of surprising and being the number three receiver on this team. Keenan Reynolds was playing quarterback last year. Like, Caleb Scott, Steel Grayson, the track star. You know, you want to, like, I, I put out on Twitter today that, like, uh, I think the team's got, like, about 25 locks at this point. And I had Darbo on there, which was weird to do. But who's beating these guys out? They carried five wide receivers last year. You've got Doug and you got Tyler, and then you got to pick three guys from Amara Darbo, Brandon Marshall, Jaron Brown, Marcus Johnson, David Moore, Demaria Stringfellow, Keenan Reynolds, Caleb Scott, Cyril Grayson, and Tanner McAvoy. You have to take three of those. This is why they're going to run the ball every play. It's going to drive <laughs> you crazy. I mean, I almost can't blame them with that receiving core. <laughs> you know what? I propose a new idea. Let's only carry two wide receivers, Tyler Lockett and Doug Baldwin. <laughs> yeah, CJ Prosize can play wide receiver. Oh, God. And we're already here. Uh, you know, look, two, right? one, I, I think I think David Moore is a legit, uh, can be a legit receiver. You know, I, I don't I don't think that that's a, a huge stretch. I saw enough. He's typing him up quite a bit, too. What's that? He's typing him up quite a bit, too. Yeah, yeah. He, he's he's an athletic dude. He's durable. He's strong. He's fast. Like, you know, is he, I don't think he's necessarily going to be some standout. But I also I have some questions about how great Paul Richardson actually was and how much of it was Russell Wilson and Paul Richardson spending time together. So I don't know if, if any of these guys are smart enough to spend their offseason with Russell. But if they want to make money, they better. Um, you know, I, I think. You know, going through some of those names, Marcus Johnson um, was uh, a decent receiver for for Philadelphia. They they were kind of stacked at that position. He's fast. He's tall. Um, you know, it's it's not the totally out of the realm of possibilities. And you know, beyond that, yeah, you're right. I mean, like Brandon Marshall, you kind of hope something hits there uh, that he can at least still play. Otherwise, you probably are looking at. Well, I, oh, we, I forgot Jerome Brown. I mean, Jerome Brown was a legit receiver. He was he was behind 
Fitzgerald and John Brown. Sure about that, Brian? We're used yeah. to talking about these guys like you've got Golden Tate and Sidney Rice and Jermaine Curse and Doug Baldwin. And it's like, oh, yeah, Marcus Johnson. He's 6'1". He's fast. Maybe he can do something. It'll be cool. Keenan Reynolds. Oh, he started. The <laughs> like, we're talking about their third receiver. Yeah. These guys are going to play like 60%, 70% of the snaps. It's well, not <laughs> I think I think all the guys you mentioned are potentially like in the same level as Jermaine Curse. And Jermaine Curse was a starter. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. <laughs> I I I don't I don't hold curse in that high regard. Jermaine Curse uh, just went off and caught for like nine hundred like eighty balls for nine hundred yards. Like Marcus Johnson, you can take like I'll give you like all of these guys, and they probably won't do it combined the rest of their career at this point. Like, all right, I'll take that bet. I will take that bet. I, all I, right. I, 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 I would believe that David Moore is going to be someone who stands out for this team on uh, on offense. And I do think that you've got Tyler Lockett and Doug Baldwin at the top of that list that are perfectly capable. And then you're just looking at who's the third guy. Um, the fourth guy generally does. You know, if he gets. 10 catches in a season in any other year, that's a big deal. So you're really looking for one other player. And between Jerron Brown and 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 David Moore, and maybe it's Brandon Marshall, but you know, I think there's I think there's potential there. But I think you're right. None of these guys are game breakers. Um, I don't think any of these guys have really super high upside potential, other than maybe more. I mean, more I I I do think that there's potential for more to be a guy that can really break out and be a, a strong contributor. They are one Doug Baldwin injury away from starting Amara Darbo and Tyler Lockett and fucking DeMaurier Stringfellow. Like, Thank you for not saying Tanner McAvoy. Thank you. It could be McAvoy. No, it it, be, no it's not. It could be McAvoy. <laughs> I don't even know if Darbo is going to make the team. We didn't think he'd make the team last year when he was a third-round pick. He should not have made the team last year. Yeah. Um, I mean, that proved out through the year. They they had reason to find use for him, and they couldn't um, couldn't do it. You know, he was a high high pick. Um, so, you know, maybe he's made a huge leap in the second year. Uh, I don't know, but um, he was a he was completely absent in training camp. Um, you know, it, it took me a few weeks before I realized, like, I haven't seen him do anything. And just about everybody does something during training camp. Um, do so. we expect any pass uh, pass uh, passing contributions from? Our tight ends. Will Disley? Does anybody know if he? I know. I know he's primarily primarily a run blocker with the, with the Huskies, but um, I don't. I don't know. I, I would take a Nathan stance here. I don't know if the three tight ends combined will will produce as much as Jimmy Graham did through the air as a receiver. You know, Jimmy who? <laughs> Jimmy Graham. Never heard the name. <laughs> The uh, franchise record holder, tight end. Oh, jeez. If I hear that argument one more goddamn time, <laughs> I'm going to blow a gasket. I cannot handle that argument. Yeah. I, I'm not going to miss him, frankly. But, oh, I'm not either. But uh, I'll miss those 10 touchdowns, though. Say that again, Nathan. I'll miss those 10 touchdowns, though. I'm not going to miss his poor effort on every other play. Yeah, this is this is this I'm is just nasty. being honest here. <laughs> you know, Nathan's Nathan's you know in midseason form already. <laughs> the, the cold water is just being splashed all over every computer and 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 phone watching. I'm I'm sure. I brought up, I brought up the Schottenheimer yet. <laughs> we haven't even brought up Schottenheimer yet either, Nathan. I know. The 
Jacob Stevens wrote a really good post um, on the Beast Pod uh, website. Um, they do good stuff, uh, and it was really good. It was really good. But like the, he was talking about Shadi and his tendencies and stuff. And the first play was uh, uh, the Jets motioning Sean Green, uh, who was like you know a, a bowling ball with brick hands, out wide, so they could create a mismatch to throw a seven-yard curl to Jericho Cotri, who was a very good receiver, but not a nimble dude. Uh, on third and nine, it was all this sorcery involving Sean Green and, and like, I mean, they got the first down because Jericho Cotri fell forward, but, like, uh, it about gave me a heart attack. I, I, I almost didn't make it. Brian, are you going down to camp? Yeah, so I will – you know, I always negotiate that with, with my office, and uh, uh, usually I'm at every, pretty much every training camp. But uh, the first first day, Thursday, I have to be down in the Bay Area, um, which really sucks. The first day is one of my favorite days. You get the, the real fresh uh, impression of everybody. But uh, my first day will be Friday, so I'll, I'll be there after that. But uh, uh, we'll have to wait a day on a eyes on kind of perspective. Can I put a hot take out there? Yeah, please. <laughs> Training camp is bad. Why do people go? It's a million degrees. You like every time I go, they practice on the far field. I can't see anything. Like I, you know, half of these guys, I, I don't know their numbers, so I'm like frantically trying to like look them up on my phone and like figure out what's going on. Well, you got to print out the roster notes, dude. Okay, so there's prep work I got to do to go sit in the sun and get a sunburn and sweat my ass off and have to like stare through binoculars for an hour training camp's bad it's a don't forget don't forget the jam-packed bus rides to and from also the terrible parking and bus ride situation yeah this is why I'm not, twitter was invented I don't have to deal with that but yeah that that is a, a nasty part I, I i actually don't think that's quite a bit, a bit of a hot take i'm i'm good for like one training camp a year the people like brian that go to like every training camp i'm like how do you put up with like all these dinguses every single day i don't know it's yeah. yeah, I I love it. I love I love watching uh, I love watching all the players actually uh, find, like every every snap they make is is potentially you know fulfilling a, a dream they have or completely um, catastrophic and you see that play out in all sorts of places and if you know what if you know where the the real competition's happening and where the back end of the roster is you see some really interesting things and watching how people perform in those situations with a crowd watching them, um, you know, it's fascinating. Plus, I love I love the Seahawks. I mean, I will take Seahawks anywhere and everywhere. I love preseason games. I watch them till the fourth quarter. I watch the overtimes when they happen happily. Um, you know, I love Seahawks football. So I'm I'm super curious about which players are going to be worth paying attention to come the regular season. And I don't want to wait till the regular season to find that out. So, um, you know. I found out in in harsh ways that that there's some parts of that you really can't forecast, like the run game, like the offensive line, run blocking, anything to do with the run game at all is pretty much impossible in today's training camp to to take anything away from because they just basically are playing patty cake out there. But um, cornerbacks, receivers, uh, you know, to some extent safeties, um, a little bit of linebacker play. Um, you get a pretty good feel for for what's going to come, and and uh, those happen to be some pretty important aspects. And then pass rushing and pass blocking, one v one, 
um, tells you a lot. Um, you can, it hasn't, it hasn't been hard to predict that uh, Jermaine Effetti was going to have trouble uh, pass blocking, or you know, uh, that you know some of these other guys were going to have trouble. Um, and and uh, that all starts there at training camp. So just a matter of how much you you really are obsessed with with uh, Seahawks football. I think. I heard a rumor that Mike Solari was going to fix Jermaine Effetti, turn him into an All Pro. Oh, really? That's what a, a little bird told me. I can't tell if this is like a live sub tweet <laughs> to me or not. Um, could, is there potential that he could make him decent? <laughs> Nathan, your facial reaction. <laughs> Complete I don't think embarrassment. So. I don't think so. I mean, maybe he'll be decent, but I, I don't know. Okay, so, this, so I have a follow-up question. Do you think Jermaine Ifedi is a starter this year? Do you think he is a starter or should be a starter? Those are different questions. Do you think he is a starter this year? I do think that he is a starter this year. Really? Yeah. I, I would be I, – I, one of the things I'm cheering for that is super unlikely, but I would be more – I think there's more upside to is George Fant winning out right tackle. I was just going to say, if I do go to training camp or if I did go to training camp, that would be the thing I would really watch was Fant and just see what, where he's working and, and how he looks, you know flipping mirror and his, his stance and all that. That one's really interesting. And we do know for, sh not for sure, but I think uh, Stinger on Twitter the other day pointed out like from an Instagram post that he was lining up in the right tackle um, uh, spot yeah. like positioning. So I acknowledge that, that he was okay. meeting at right tackle. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's something to watch. Have you guys heard Cliff Averill on the radio yet? Mm -mm. So Cliff had Brit on this week. And they were talking about, I don't know if you guys saw, Cliff had comments about a Fetty and Britt jumped for his back, right? So Britt was saying that, obviously Britt is a very, has a soft skin and he gets a little defensive. We all know that. But Britt was really positive about a Fetty. I, I rolled my eyes the whole time, but Cliff said he talked to a Fetty after that exchange and he, there was a different attitude about him. He said in the past that Fetty let every single thing bother him and he couldn't get the mental side of the game down. And I think that's what he was alluding to with those comments. He said the way he responded to this really showed him something. I'm still on you guys' side. I, I don't see any chance that a Fetty becomes a functional player. But just the word around the building that I've heard is that, the, that this scheme will help Jermaine a little bit more than the old one where they had him kind of backpedaling and trying to target guys out of the zone blocking. I'm still very skeptical of Jermaine. I don't think you can teach kind of the things that he doesn't do well, but the word around the building is this scheme really helps him. I don't know if that's going to be enough to make him functional, but that's what I've been hearing. I think well, you, yeah, go ahead. Go you ahead. could see him take a jump maybe as a run blocker and maybe put some of that, that strength and body to use as a run blocker in a man blocking scheme. But yeah, I think what you said about you, you know, you can't teach him to have quicker feet, you know, and, and that step in pass blocking. Uh, I don't think that Solari is going to come in and do anything revolutionary there. Probably not, but I think you can. Um, his technique, it, 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 like he's off balance a lot and he gives up a lot of ground when he's pass protecting. And there may be some different techniques that fit his, his style better. I mean, there, I think there's reason to to say he could be improved. I, I, I don't know that I believe he can be great yet. Um, you know, I have to be cautious because look, Justin Britt was disastrous, you know, disastrous at left guard. Um, and then he was pro bowl alternate at center the next year. Now I, 
there's a bunch of factors in there, but I would just say like, I didn't expect that. <laughs> so I do have to acknowledge that there's some potential for, you know, maturation and growth over time and, and that something could happen. Um, and, you know, if I was trying to make a case for a Fetty and, and it wouldn't be particularly like uh, a strong hearted one. Um, if you look back at um, like pro football focus numbers, like midway or three quarters of the way through last year, he had like he was one of only like a few tackles in the league that hadn't given up you know he'd given up like i think only a couple sacks and and like he had some crazy like uh low number of total um sacks and hits that he had given up um he'd given up a ton of pressures but but less sacks and hits you know so there, there was some kind of you know upside to that i just really like what george fant his physical profile at right tackle um, reminds me a lot of someone like uh, Chris Perry for those people back in the day, uh, Seahawks land. That's like 2002 timeframe that Matt, Matt Hasselbeck, but um, tall, lanky, um, strong, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of interested in what he would look like there. And that I'm really curious about whether Ethan Posick actually can turn the corner. Cause I thought he looked like a decent fundamental um, uh, football player last year, um, at least earlier on, but he was physically overpowered at times. And so, you know, I'm curious, he's definitely put on some weight. I saw him a few months ago. He's super thick compared to where he was, but you know, that's another one where I feel a little bit more confident that he could maybe take a step forward. And Posick was at this uh, camp that happened this week. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys saw Jeff Schwartz, this story on it. I think it was 26 of the, the top offensive line groups in the league. I, I, I referenced Duke Mannyweather on Twitter a lot. He's like kind of the offensive line guru around the NFL. He doesn't coach. He holds a lot of Elaine Johnson was there. Uh, Jeremy Purnell was there. And two guys were there from the Seahawks, which was new to me because when offensive line Seahawks get mentioned, usually they don't go well. Posick was there, which really surprised me as a second year player. If you look at Ben tweets out blown block stats allowed, Posick was very high in that stat. So the fact that he was in this group, to me, that's what's promising, that he's picking these guys' brains, that they consider him functional enough to be with these guys. And Fluker was there. And Fluker's worked with Manny Weather all year long. And based on Fluker's contract, I don't know how much the Seahawks even think of him based on the guarantees he got and based on his pass protection issues in the past. But Fluker's really changed his body like Posick in the last year. Fluker, there's a picture of him that surfaced last week. He, he looks completely different than he did a year ago. And so I'm, I'm interested in seeing the two guards and if camps like this do help them. And Posick's a guy who does have, who was a pretty tech, good technician coming out of college. But yeah, the strength, the functional strength is a big issue. And when you jump 20 pounds in one year, sometimes it's hard to, it might be an injury waiting to happen at that point. But to me, the two guards are going to be fascinating to watch because guard play has been such a problem for this team since the Super Bowl years. Posick does have the technician, does have the pedigree coming out of LCU, but I just want to see, do these guys take that jump in the Solari scheme or is Tom Cable as bad as we thought? To me, that's the most interesting test case of the whole year because the players are the same, right? They're essentially the same outside of Fluker. The scheme is a little different. They didn't draft Will Hernandez like we probably would have wanted when he's on the board twice. They didn't make a big free agent splash. So if Solari can get something out of this group, to me, that's the most interesting test case of the entire season. Yeah, I think the the season hinges on it. Uh, it 
if I mean, this offense really has to make a huge step forward for this team to be relevant this year. And um, for the offense to take a huge step forward, the offensive line has got to be at least mediocre, like at least. And it, we've been saying that for years now, and it has not actually happened. So, um, in fact, we've been saying for years, well, it can't get worse, right? Uh, but actually, it can't. yeah, yeah, it's true. Um, two years ago, when Fan was at left tackle, I think that was the worst position group in the entire league. Did they have Fan at left? Ta- they didn't have Fan at tackle and Webb at guard. At least, if they if that had all lined up, that would have been like historic. God. That was the same year, though. Yeah, I don't. But Fant came yeah. in later. Yeah, yeah. I have a hot take. Question. Are we sure George Fant is good, or even no, 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 no. I, Because there's a lot of talk in Seahawks circles that like, oh, George Fant's gonna come back and win the starting job at right tackle and solidify the tackle spot. Uh, have we seen any consistent positive contributions from him? That is he not how had a nice preseason <laughs> <laughs> that got one Ben Baldwin very excited for him. Uh, and that's about, that's about it. I just think maybe some fans are kind of overstating his expected contributions if he's fully healthy. Yeah. I think people, he's just a, he's, he's the backup quarterback. This is the backup quarterback thing where everyone just hates a Fetty. And so they're just projecting hope on George Fan. There you never know. I mean, maybe we all talked about watching him <laughs> earlier. I mean, maybe he'll be better. There was there was a field goals article. I can't remember who wrote it. Um, it might have been Sam Gold, but but like that after the first preseason game or something like that, that broke down every you know pass block that Fant had and and how he was doing well. And I yeah, I know a lot of people got really excited about that. It's really small sample size. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I just see from a from a physical from an athlete perspective, um, for me he projects a little bit more as a right tackle than Effetti you know, to me. Just he looks like a bigger plotting, you know, he looks like a guard to me and um, how he moves and he doesn't look comfortable in space or against you know quick edge rushers, and so it's just hard for me to picture that working out. But um, yeah, I mean, look. I believe that that Dwayne Brown is going to be, you know, uh, reliable at left tackle as long as he can stay healthy. Um, I think Posick has a chance to step forward. I don't know how far, but he wasn't very good last year. So we're talking about getting from not very good to maybe below average or average, you know, like who knows. Um, Justin Britt has been, he took a step back last year, but not like to being really bad. I think he's a above average center. Um, Fluker is a guy that the Giants wanted back, uh, apparently. And, um, you know, he is definitely more of a run blocker than a pass blocker by all accounts. So they could not have wanted him back that badly. He signed here for like 900 grand. Like, (laughs) I mean, sure, they might have wanted him back for like free or something, but he might not have wanted to go back as part of it as well. So, um, but, uh, you know, and then you got right tackle. So, it's a hodgepodge for sure. Um, and, you know, behind those guys, I don't know that there's, you know, Jordan Roos, maybe he's someone that, you know, has reason to believe that he could step forward. Willie Beavers is a guy that uh, some people are excited about, you know, 
I just haven't seen anything from any of those guys to like get super excited and say they're going to be the reason this this offensive line's better. Um, and honestly, Mike Solari has had an uneven career. Um, I don't know that I think Evan wrote about it in his article. Um, I'm not sure that I think anything that's not Tom Cable should be at least the, give the opportunity for improvement. But, um, uh, I don't know if I believe that, that Solari is, is the answer. So I, I'm definitely curious about that. I'm hope I'm hopeful, but I'm not, uh, not that hopeful. It's not Solari is the answer. It's not Cable is the right. answer. Right. Tom Cable was a goddamn poison to this organization. I'm not kidding. He he he. I I am convinced. I am convinced. He single handedly is the reason we have not won multiple Super Bowls. I'm not kidding. My early adulthood has been ruined because of Tom <laughs> Cable. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. F Tom Cable. I hate that man. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm done. No, it's true. It's true. He 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 was he was <laughs> he's not a positive influence for sure uh, of late. So, what do we have in terms of guys that you are looking to take a step forward? You believe not necessarily offensive line, but across the roster that you guys believe could be a much better player this year than they were last year. Jeff, do you want to start? I think uh, I think the the big one it's going to have to be is Delano Hill. Delano Hill had trouble getting on the field last year. We don't know what's going to happen with Earl Thomas. And Delano Hill, if Earl doesn't play this year, I think he's the starter at strong safety. He showed some flashes when he did play in the preseason where he looked like a tackler. He looks like he can go in coverage and at least has the upside that, <laughs> the upside that we've mentioned is so limited across the roster for maybe some of their young players. I think he jumps out to me. The other one to take the step forward, I guess if we're not talking Posick again, it's it's probably Naz Jones. Mm. The pass rushing is it's one of the biggest issues on the team. We haven't mentioned it yet. Beside Frank Clark, we don't know what we're getting in terms of pass rush. I actually like Tom Johnson as a sleeper player this year from that department, but Naz showed flashes both in run and in pass last year in limited action. I think they're going to keep his snaps to a similar level. But he's he's got to step up, and he's one of the few guys on the roster that you can see taking that second year jump because there's going to be a lot of opportunity to pass rush. Sheldon Richardson's gone. Jaron Reed's not the best pass rusher. He's more of a run stopper. So I I, I go Naz and Delano. Not Tedrick Thompson. When you move like molasses as a safety, it's not a good sign. <laughs> but he has great ball skills, right? Totally. Yeah. Yes, it gets the ball first. <laughs> uh, what about you, Nathan? Is there someone that 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 uh, you're thinking might might break out this year? I mean, uh, I don't know that I think he will, but Nick Vanette is kind of in a good spot for it. Um, tight ends take a little while to develop, um, especially as pass catchers. I mean, we'll see what Disley can do with the blocker, but um, you know, Vanette's in year three now. He doesn't have a ton of competition for targets. So he could be a guy that, you know, maybe it comes together for him and maybe he takes a, takes a jump. Um, I don't know. It's kind of sad, like trying to look through and see, like, I mean, like I think Puna Ford, the undrafted free agent uh, defensive tackle that they got, like he's a guy that could maybe pop and surprise it, you know, not better than last year necessarily. Cause he wasn't on the team last year, he was in college, but 
uh, I don't know. You know, one guy I really am excited. I was joking about him being a starter, uh, but Demore Stringfellow is a guy that if um, kind of like a Fetty, like if his head's on right, um, and Stringfellow's got a ton of talent. So, you know, he is someone that could actually legitimately step up and out of that wide receiver group and really take that third spot and like earn it and own it and keep it. Um, so he's someone that I'm excited to see, but I'm, I'm really tempering my expectations for him just because he's had so many issues, um, going back into college and all that. So it would be super ironic for people that don't know his, <laughs> his backstory, at least in, he was a Husky and part of the reason he got like transfer, he transferred, he got kicked off the team or whatever is after the Seahawks beat the Broncos in the Super Bowl, he, and who was the other player? Oh, Miles, right? Was it, was it yeah, 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 yeah. The, the QB. Oh, yeah. God. QB. Uh, <laughs> like, got into a, a fight with some Seahawks fans because they're both Broncos fans. Uh, so now he's got – I, I kind of love that he has to come back, uh, tail between his legs, and try to make the Seahawks squad. So. And if he does make the team, his very first game will be against the Broncos. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Puna Ford one's fun just because it's fun to say his name. Um, and he's uh, a fun dude too. He's like 5'10 and like 400 pounds. Yeah, he's like a little spark plug, like, yeah, like a, yeah he's like a fire hydrant man. I mean, he's he's like he's wide and squatty, and and uh, it could be a really interesting Brandon Meebane style kind of uh, uh, player inside. Yeah, do you guys think Mingo could do anything this year? He's the kind of guy that. He's in the Bruce Irvin role. I've never seen a player, I don't think, that has been rumored to the Seahawks as much as Barkevius Mingo from the time of the, the draft to post-draft to trades to, like, free agency. Like, it's been ever since he was in the league, like, everyone's like, this guy profiles to Seattle. And uh, now he's in Seattle. So, I don't know. I, I mean, he's certainly physically he's a, he's a freak athlete, but, you know, what's impact as a Sam linebacker in the system, you know, yeah. you're on the field like maybe 30% yeah. of the time and maybe he ends up with three to four sacks. So no, no, not really. he's got, he's got a chance to be a nice player for him. I mean, he can, I think he could definitely be a Bruce Irvin level player, but the linebacker Bruce Irvin, not the, you know, the eight sack rookie Bruce Irvin. So, so let me throw out a few guys that, that, I'm interested in, I don't know how likely, but some of these guys are long shots. So, so Tyrone swoops is a guy that um, I really think has athletic profiles, interesting at tight end. And he showed more ability to block last year than I expected as a former college quarterback. Um, it wouldn't shock me if he steals someone's spot on the roster um, this year and ends up contributing. And that guy might be Vanette, to be honest. I 100% agree, Brian. I am not sold Nick Vanette is making the roster at all. Yeah. I think, I think Ed Dixon's a good player. He's not a great player, but I think he's a very stable on a team that needs some stability. So I think you're, you're looking at Vanette and Swoops fighting for that third spot. I 100% agree. 100%. And another guy that is, <laughs> I guarantee not many people are talking about, but I'm really interested in is uh, Alex Carter. Oh, um, yeah. Like former three round pick was a cornerback um, in college at Stanford. Um, went to Detroit. They eventually converted him to safety. Um, you know he's he's like 
he's long enough. He kind of converts there and he's early enough in his career where uh, I'm just kind of curious what the Seahawks do with him. He's only 23 years old um, and he's a great athlete. I can kind of see him coming out of nowhere to grab a spot. And I don't know if it'll be at safety or it'll be at, at, at cornerback, but he's a guy I have my eye on. I'm kind of curious to see what happens. Um, and then there was one more guy. You know, it's really interesting. Well, maybe no, not nobody, but a lot of people are not talking about Rasheem Green, uh, you know, who's our third round pick. And a lot of people pre-draft were pretty high on what he could be as a pass rusher. I don't think that anyone knows what to really make of him. So I'm kind of curious to see where they fit him in or if he forces his way into the picture. Um, that would be another guy that's that's kind of on my list. He could be a real wild card on the the success of this team. Like uh, he's super raw, and I think it'll be a couple of years before we see anything from him. But if he shows up and like puts it together a little bit, and he can have that kind of like Bruce Irvin eight sack, ten sack. I mean, like if he goes just absolutely nuts, right? Like that'd be crazy. But um, that changes how you kind of look at the defense a lot because you know. Clark, yeah, he needs to take a step, but he's pretty established. I think he's he's pretty beastly. You know, we'll see what you'd add Dion Jordan, but if you if you can get anything close to the what he did in those four games, that's a nice starting, you know, set of defensive ends. But then it's like, okay, where where you know, Marcus Smith is kind of just a guy, and then beyond that, like I don't even know who their real defensive ends are. Like maybe you're looking at Mingo, but if Green can pop and really be a productive player and kind of if they can manufacture some sacks for him like they've done for like O'Brien Schofield and those kind of guys, then maybe this defense gets a little bit more of a bite to it. Yeah, agreed. Um, Evan, are there any guy, other guys that you're you're looking at? The name that really, or are we talking rookies? It can be anybody that, that you're, you're kind of looking to pop this year. It's a long shot. It's a hail mary. I hope it's Dion Jordan. I know we briefly mentioned him, but that position group needs it. And, you know, I, I, whenever I think of Deion Jordan, I just think of that bull rush in, in Arizona last year where uh, he just like drove his man completely backwards. I, I don't know if you remember that highlight. Right. Um, but that, seeing that after the game, I was like, because I obviously didn't, you know, my eyes are bad. I didn't see it in person super well, but um, that, that was crazy to me. So I, if he can take a step forward, that would be huge. I think his contract is like, I think he's, some RFA, ERFA, something like that. So um, I think he's like, if he balls out this year, I think he's an unrestricted free agent next yeah. year. So um, I think that's a great one. I think, you know, to answer uh, Nathan's question, I mean, I think they're hoping that it's a Dion Jordan, Frank Clark on the outside kind of situation. Yeah. And the question is who, who's on the inside. I think Tom Johnson's one of them. Um, and then it's either Naz or Jaron Reed or something like that, or maybe Rasheem Green. Like mm -hmm. those are the guys that are kind of in the mix there. Um, you know, nobody mentioned Michael Dixon. Um, you know, uh, I was waiting for someone else to bring up who's, who's probably going to be the MVP of the season, but uh, that's not a great sign for the season. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am really curious. I have to ask, like, are you guys like there's a scenario where Sebastian Janikowski makes the team and is the most likely kicker, but is like old and maybe he gets drunk or maybe he gets injured or whatever. And and then you've got Jason Myers, I think is that the I think is that the other guy? Yeah. 
who's just not good. Has never been really good. And he's younger, but are you cheering in any way for Myers to win here over the 40-year-old Janikowski? Like, who was the guy? Somebody, one of the players put some video of somebody kicking like trick field goal shots off. That was Michael Dixon showing his, uh, oh no, maybe not. Michael Dixon was showing his kicker down there kicking 75 yard field goals. His kicker? Like the kicker at Texas right now? Yeah. Yeah. I was, well, he actually was in the league and then, you know, hasn't made it yet. Hasn't like made a roster, but I, I can't remember his name. Okay. I'm rooting for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No one also mentioned Trey Flowers. Ooh. Yeah, he's super interesting. He's When I was reading through your list, I, I totally forgot about him. Yeah. Because around draft time, I was kind of excited by that pick. Their fifth round was more exciting than their first round. Fifth round. Uh, what did you just say, Jeff? That first round pick was incredibly exciting. <laughs> yeah, because they actually made it. That many fans bought his jersey, Jeff. <laughs> So we've gone pretty much an hour and we haven't talked about Earl Thomas. Yeah. I think we should kind of get into this. This is kind of going to be the lingering story, unfortunately, around Seahawks camp from the national perspective. It's not as fun to talk about as Michael Dixon, but Earl's been all over the news today. A new report came out from the NFL network and there's been Instagram posts every two days. So we'll start with you, Brian. You've kind of, you've been close to the team for a long time. What's your take on the whole Earl thing, and where do you see it going? Well, I mean, I think the Seahawks um, may have, might have overplayed their hands and not, you know, getting a draft pick before the, the draft. Um, I don't think Earl ever really intended to come back um, to the Seahawks, despite what he had said um, publicly, which is kind of a weird PR campaign that that he ran prior to the draft and prior to minicamp. Um, you know. Now, I don't see a path for him to come back um, to the team that would be a good answer. You know, the most likely scenario right now is he definitely he's not going to report to camp. He'll be out for all of camp and then maybe he'll come back for the regular season. I think uh, an unhappy Earl Thomas in the middle of a team, the secondary that is trying to figure out its identity and develop, um, you know, is, is not a not a great endpoint. I, I would hope that they can find a, a draft choice that they can get for him. Um, you know, ideally, I, you know, I'd like them to extend Earl and believe that, that that's the right thing to do. I just don't think the Seahawks are going to do that. Um, I, I don't think there's any sign that they're going to do that. If they had any interest in doing that, they would have already done it. Um, so that part's pretty clear to me. And, and, and then it's just a matter of like, what could you get for him? And at this point, like, I would almost be surprised if they get more than a fourth round pick and um, you know, they probably won't move him for a fourth round pick. So then you got a, a guy who doesn't want to be here hanging around, um, you know, during the year that that's, that's kind of the ugly scenario I, I see um, ahead. Yeah. Evan, you've, you've gone through a range of emotions on this. I've seen your, we've all followed your tweets and Earl's your avatar and. Oh. You've gone from hating on him to wanting to resign him instantly. Where, where's your head at these days? Jeff, I wave every hour back and forth with this situation. It's so deep, deeply like close to my heart because I love Earl Thomas so freaking much. But I also kind of understand what the Seahawks are doing. Um, I'm, I'm going to lay, lay it out in like a bullet point list my thoughts here. Um, number one, I love Earl Thomas. He's, he's a stud, obviously. Number two, um, 
If you're if you're talking third, fourth round pick for moving him, f that. He's worth so much more than that. I am not moving him for that. Now, if somebody comes in and is like, you know, talking first, second round picks, then I think it's something to consider. But if we're talking third and fourth, no, absolutely not happening. Um, taking my complete emotions out of it as a fan. You can do that? I'm, tr- I'm trying my hardest. Okay. Taking that completely out of it. Um, if I was the franchise, I would let him play out his deal and I would tag him for one year and then I'd let him walk. And I know, and I know you're not supposed to treat your franchise stars that way, but I'm telling you, they obviously feel concerned about giving him guarantees beyond two years and he's going to want it. Absolutely. And you know, he probably deserves it, but they're obviously nervous about it. Maybe because of the cam situation, but that situation where you let him play out his deal and tag him for the, you know, the year beyond that and then let him walk and get a comp pick or whatever provides really zero long-term risk to the Seahawks. It's not going to provide for a Cam Chancellor situation. What is that cap hit, though? What's the tag for a safety? Super cheap because safeties are, like, getting paid pennies these days. I'm pretty sure it's, like, 10 or 11 mil. Mm. So, like, and he and he wants probably, like, 13, 14, 15. He'd be furious. <laughs> Yeah, I know he would. I, so pissed. I know he would. Um, but that's me taking my emotions out of it. And I, I think, you know, there's t- great arguments to be made that you shouldn't treat your star player like that. But, you know, it's a ruthless business. I don't know. All right. From the opposite end of the spectrum, Nathan, what's the most realistic scenario? And where do you stand on it? I, I don't know. I mean, uh, during the draft, I thought they should have traded him. Apparently they couldn't get a second round pick and a third round pick is really dicey, but like, I think that they must feel confident and maybe, maybe it's just that route. Maybe they're just willing to let him play out and then tag him, but they must have something planned because uh, if they were just going to let him walk, like get the third round pick, like trade him for anything. Um, especially with the chance that he might, you know, be, he might kind of loaf or whatever out there. Like uh, if they didn't think that they had a plan beyond just, you know, rolling the dice and hoping you get one year of Earl giving us hundred percent, then they should have traded him. Um, and, you know, either way you probably look back and say, Hey, they probably should have traded him two years and gotten that first or second round pick if they could have. And maybe they kind of missed an opportunity there, but um yeah, I, at this point, I just think that they, and we'll see if they end up right. They might be, they might be confident in something and be totally wrong, but it, it just feels like a weird position for them to have let this play out to this point without either planning on tagging him and getting him for another year after this, or you know, knowing that they can find a number they're going to agree on or something. It, it doesn't make sense that they would have passed up the opportunity to get something in return if that wasn't the case. Do you, do you agree that his highest? value point for the Seahawks was prior to the draft or at least uh yeah prior to the draft completing I don't know I don't know that it's that much different now than it was then I mean if if uh, I bet you could call up the Cowboys and get a third round pick for them right now Mm. I mean I don't know what their cap situation is and maybe that's different now but I I don't know that that's that much worse off if it's true that like they were trying to get a deal from the Cowboys and all they could get was a third round well I mean there's also to some extent you know a third round pick this year is a higher value than a third round pick next year, like just in general. But, but, uh, sure. But yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I, 
I don't see anything good coming from it. Um, if they do find someone, I, I think the ideal would be that they could find someone to make the trade and, and make it soon. Do you think Chargers could be a possibility there? You know, the Chargers I, should. Why? Why should the Chargers? Yeah. They have Gus Bradley's defense. They have the Cam Chancellor clone with Derwin James. They're, they have a Super Bowl kind of team on paper. Earl would put them right over the top. Gus has coached them. Gus and him are really tight. They're one of the few teams that doesn't need a free safety. If, if you look, that's why Earl only gets mentioned. The Cowboys teams just don't need free safeties right now for whatever reason, which is why the safety market's been up in free agency. And They're one of the few teams I think should overpay for Earl, but it's just this, it's just one of these stories that won't go away, and I'm kind of sick of it already. But How good do you guys think Russell Wilson can be this year? Depends on the offensive line completely. Depends on Shoddy, though, too. Yeah. I, I, I'm not so sure he's as big of a factor as we're making him out to be. I I, 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 under, I understand that sounds crazy because he's – Play the, caller? What was that? The play caller? Yeah, I, I know that sounds crazy because he's the offensive coordinator. But the way I view it in my mind is if Mike Solari puts forward like an even average offensive line, it's very hard for me to see – shoddy failing with an average offensive line in russell wilson at qb like that that's a very hard and maybe i'm off base on that but i mean if he has a decent offensive line he might just try to run it like 60 percent of the time and (laughs) and then even if russ is good like the team is bad so yeah i mean who were his quarterbacks in st louis i'm trying to pull this up right now austin davis austin davis okay he beat us with austin davis did he have case keenum I think so. Somebody put out a list somewhere. Did he have uh, yeah. the dude that just won the Super Bowl? Foles? No, I think he was after. Uh, noted Foles. football blogger here. Who won the Super Bowl last year? Who? What was his name? <laughs> I'm seriously. Mike Foles. Thank you. Gosh. Wow, that oh, was yeah, yeah, Foles. I thought you a joke said. that turned sad. Um, yeah, I mean, how many of those guys did like he? Helen Clement he was his big guy. He's had there. He, he's been everywhere. Schottenheimer's been. 2012 to 2014. So, all right. He, he didn't really – he had Bradford. Bradford's pretty good. Davis, yeah. I don't know if he had Keenum. But, I mean, there were a lot of quarterbacks that came out of that. Jeff And Jeff Fisher's there, you know. He can kill an offense just like he can. But, I mean, maybe that was part of it. But, I don't know. It's not like he didn't have talent in St. Louis. So, you know, he, he had some guys that went on to play well elsewhere. So, Really? Like who? Like uh, Nick Foles or Sam Bradford and – now I gotta go look at all this. This is not riveting podcasting. <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I can make the same claim that he's had like he's had good players that when they got out from underneath him, he went off and they they, they played better. I hadn't seen that as much. I, I'd love to read that if that that's the case and learn about it. But I mean, I think the the only talented QBs I think he's really played with or, or you know been in the room with is you know Drew Brees. Uh, and Philip Rivers when he was in San Diego as a quarterback's coach. And from everything I've read about that relationship, like that's pretty strong. And they, they're both kind of like film junkies and, and detail oriented. Um, and then Brett Favre in New York, you know, was, I, I think, you know, and Brett Favre went on to have a better year the year following. That's the one guy that I could say, Nathan had a better year, went to Minnesota, I think after that and had his, his big year. Um, so yeah, Favre he had Favre and Favre went on to play better the next year. He Favre was injured though, but I mean, right. um, 
he didn't have Foles or Keenum. I think Keenum was there for like half of his last year. So he missed out on both those guys. But he did have Bradford, and Bradford's been a decent player. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think the thing about Shoddy not having any quarterback talent is a little overblown, but I mean, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, what I've read about him, not as much looked at as all the d- different tape, is, you know, he tends to over-engineer a little bit and have, like, a, a lot of complexity to his offense uh, for his players to have to pay attention to and different receiver options and quarterback options and different scenarios. And, you know, to it sound, compared to what we've heard in general about what people used to describe the Seahawks offense as, like, super vanilla and everybody kind of knew it was coming and it was greatly simplified, um, it, it sounds at some level that it's going from one extreme to another, and it'll be really interesting if that's true, how the players uh, actually execute it. You know, are they playing fast and are they playing confidently or are they thinking too much? Um, you know, how naturally does that come um, to them? But, you know, honestly, the, <laughs> with all the things that are question mark, if they can do one thing, which is figure out a way to have some kind of reliable running play that is not read option, um, that's the that's one thing that you know they keep going to 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 run the ball and everything other than read option has been nothing i mean it seems like for years it's been really bad um and now the read option has gone to where it's pretty much you know it's the best of the the group but still not strong either so i'm just kind of curious if they can find anything that's somewhat reliable since we know that they are going to run um whether nathan wants them to or not um finding something that is is at least repeatable and effective um that's gonna be a big big aspect of of how much russell wilson has to work with outside of just his own shoulders all right jeff we any other items we want to cover before we uh, wrap it up pre-training camp okay one more question we haven't mentioned his name the whole time the other shaq griffin Hmm. What what are you looking for him to do in preseason? And you th- how, how does he get on the field? That's probably the best story on this team right now. Yeah, and he's one of the more interesting, um, like just players. Like, are they gonna finally build that big nickel role for him? Does he get a chance to play strong safety? Um, does he play linebacker? How much do they let him rush the passer? Are we going to even get to see any of what they might want to do with him in preseason? Like, uh, I could see him just playing a really vanilla, like, Will or something like that. Um, because if they are looking to incorporate any of that, they're probably not going to show it in preseason. So for him, you know, uh, I bet he'll have a big special teams moment or two. And then he'll fly around just as a linebacker on defense. And then I wonder if it, it won't be maybe farther into the season where he starts to get some opportunities to do different stuff. If he can, if they can find ways for him to do that stuff. Okay. One final question before we go. Oh, I got a final question before your final question. Okay. All right. Uh, so I asked a question on Twitter the other day. I'm curious your guys' point of view, not what you want to happen, but what do you think would be, the best for the the franchise in terms of, 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 you know, getting back to being a contender, which would be the, the better option. Um, one that the team actually does hit the low end and loses, you know, wins like four games, gets a high pick or two that they end up somewhere between like seven and nine wins, 
maybe make the playoffs. I'm going low end, and not because of the pick, but because they fire Pete Carroll, oh, and sorry. they go out and they hire someone who will pass the ball. No. Uh, uh, I mean, it's a high end. Are we taking like the 13 wins? Is that the high end we're talking about? No, I'm talking about the two options are basically either mediocre, you know, eight. Does that mean playoffs? Is that like wild card? Maybe the playoffs, like, you know, maybe sneak into the playoffs as your high end. Um, Or, you know, four wins. Which do you think the franchise is actually better off um, experiencing? If they only win four games and it's not because of a Russell Wilson injury, that's bad times. Like that's bad news. If it's a, if like, if Russ gets hurt and they win two games and then they get like the number one pick next year, like, uh, you know, there's some upside there that, 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 that could work out. You could do the, the Tim Duncan thing. Uh, but if they win, if they just like, they're just a four win team with Russell Wilson playing quarterback, then like, then I think you have serious questions. I'm taking the, the mediocre mm-hmm. option there. That's an interesting way to look at it. Jeff, how about you? I think the worst place to be is kind of the six and 10, seven and nine area where you're not getting better and you're not getting worse. So if that's, if your option is that or the four and 12 bottom out, I almost take the four and 12 bottom out because that at least gets you a great player next year. They don't have a second round pick next year. And maybe, maybe it is time to move on from Pete Carroll. So if they go four wins, at least, you know, that clearly if you're seven and nine, you're still kind of stuck in where you're not sure if they're getting better or getting worse. And to me, that's the worst case scenario. If you're just seven wins and you take a minor step forward with new coaches, to me, that's almost the, yeah, to me, that's the worst case scenario, almost worse than winning four games. I have no problem sneaking into the playoffs via the wild card because once you get into the NFL playoffs, anything can happen. And point number two, rebuttal if they end up going four and 12 and they end up selecting top five or whatever. You know what I can't, I won't be able to handle is analytics Twitter losing their mind when they select Bryce Love at like number five overall <laughs> because it's going to happen if if they do go four and twelve. <laughs> I lose my mind too. Uh. And you know they would do it. You no, know I mean here's the thing. I was just talking to folks on the chat. Uh, you know, they're like, "Hey, people would have to get fired if they went four and 12 I'm like, "Folks, everybody got fired and they won nine games last year." So. Yeah, like, I think it's not just Pete Carroll. It could also be John Schneider in that case. Like that, that's a possibility. And, you know, they could turn it over to a new GM and coach with a high pick the same way that Pete and John inherited a, a you know, a high pick when when they took over in 2010. Um, yeah, I, I think Nathan's got it right. I, I actually hadn't thought about it that way, but I, I like that notion of like it's how you get to those those wins as much as what it actually says. And in general, I, I actually think I believe in the value of high picks really being available to to turn to to make a huge difference in your team. I ultimately believe the thing that wins or loses championships is how many elite players you have. Um, and you know, I know we've gone back and forth on this as well, but you know. History shows that the the majority of Hall of Fame players are coming in the first round and the majority of those players are coming in the top 10 picks. So um, top 15, at least. So um, that is at least interesting uh, to me. You know, all this said, you know, who knows? Maybe they end up uh, everything clicks and they win 12 games. And it's it's, you know, these types of things are we look back and we're laughing at ourselves for even having this conversation. 
I mean, whatever happens, though, uh, people should just have fun with the season. Like, if it's four and twelve, and then it's disaster, and then we'll talk about fire and Pete and all that. But like, uh, or if you know there's an injury, I mean, whatever. But like, whatever the team does, six and ten, seven and nine, nine and seven, ten and six. This is a rebuild year. It's a reload year, right? So, and they're positioned fairly well to, you know, start spending some money. If they are free agents that they want to go make a splash on, I know Evan, you keep saying that you think they're going to do something next year. Like they've got the cap space to do this. They've got, they've made, they, they're going to get even more flexibility as like the can situation resolves itself. So this year isn't going to be great. Like they're not going to win a Super Bowl. They might not make the playoffs. It, it, they might lose more games than they win, but like, it, it can be a fun year. It's another year with Russell Wilson. It's a lot of young players that we're going to get to learn about. And then, you know, it's next year and the years after that that are really going to start to matter and they're positioned well to go be great those years. So uh, I think, you know, going in the preseason stuff, I think just have fun with it at this point. I, I actually completely agree. I think there's something to be said about the previous seasons coming in with super high expectations and all of this pressure of like, oh, we need to make the playoffs and push for the Super Bowl win, you know. Guys are retiring soon, blah, blah, blah. I, I just don't feel that like there's that pressure this year. And um, obviously there's been a ton of turnover on the roster. And I think uh, the psychological shakeup is a good thing. So it'll definitely be an interesting year. If you can't have fun watching Shaquem Griffin and Shaquille Griffin play on the same team together, then what the hell are you doing watching football? I mean, exactly. Or watch Rashad Penny run the football. That's amazing. <laughs> You know, or watch, you know, Nathan and Ben Ben Baldwin like lose their minds every time that they Oh, I can't wait. Every <laughs> single time he scores a touchdown, I'm trolling them so hard. It's gonna be super annoying until he breaks his ankle and I don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> have fun. <laughs> don't don't worry about that. All right, Jeff, what was your last question? I was gonna ask Nathan who the, the Seahawks coach is gonna be when Pete Carroll gets fired, but you you, you asked the question better. <laughs> It's Harbaugh. Come on. It's Harbaugh. Oh, my God. There is – I've heard talks of Chris Peterson. That'd be that, – That's the word around the league is they think they're going to – Paul Allen wants another big-name coach. Harbaugh and Chris Peterson were the two names that – Boy, that would be some kind of Seattle meltdown if that happened. <laughs> yeah, you really separate the UW fans from the Seahawks fans. It happened with Jim Mora, right? I mean, that was – Kind of, yeah. Yeah. Um. Interesting. Well, all right, fellas. Thank you for uh, for getting back together. It's always fun to get uh, you guys uh, on air talking Hawks. And uh, pretty soon we'll have real stuff to talk about, not just uh, uh, theoreticals and hypotheticals. So um, come Thursday, uh, that'll all happen. Until then, uh, everybody enjoy your week and go Hawks. <laughs>